Hi, and welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. On this week's episode, we go prospecting. We talk to the number five ranked prospect in baseball, Orioles infielder Gunnar Henderson, about how he does what he does on defense. Then we're joined by SIS VP of Baseball, Bobby Scales, where we'll talk about an impressive Braves rookie and veteran and give the current Orioles their props. Let's get to it. We're joined by Orioles infield prospect Gunnar Henderson, one of the top prospects in the minor leagues, as a matter of fact. Preseason, he was ranked in the mid-50s some places, some places a little bit higher, some places a little bit lower, but he's had a fantastic year, and he's passed a number of the guys ahead of him. And MLB Pipeline now has him at number five overall. At the time we're talking to him, he's sitting right around 300, split between AA Bowie and the AAA Norfolk Tides. And a 25 homer, 25 steal season's not out of the question. But we're here to talk to him about his defense. We've heard good things about that. He split it between shortstop and third base. So, Gunnar, hey, thanks for joining us. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. So, we are starting with defense. And I guess I know that your family is like this super baseball family. They built a field behind behind your house. So I'm curious where defense falls within how you learned about baseball, kind of like your defense origin story. Yeah, I mean, that's just something that throughout growing up that we've always never taken it lightly. Even through my younger days, we'd always go out to the baseball field, like you said, by my house and just take ground balls. We did that just about every day. Then now through every day here in the uh, in professional ball, we really take it lightly. So I try to go into each and every day with the right mindset and just try to get better each and every day. Do you have a favorite defensive play that you made as a kid? There was one play in seventh. I was in seventh grade and it was in a tournament in front of just like a, a bunch of people who made like a pretty cool diving play. So that one was pretty cool just to do that in seventh grade starting at shortstop. So and I can think out at the top of my head. Were you someone that was like a scrappy kind of defensive player or, or how did your, like, how did your defense adjust as you got older? I felt like I was already, or I was always a pretty consistently good defensive player. And then I got taller and then had to make some adjustments to that, just kind of getting used to playing a little bit lower. And now that I've started to fill out my body, I feel like I've really done that pretty well and starting to get progressively better each and every year. Now, this field that's behind your house, is it like the field of dreams or like uh, what, what gives a little bit of a description of it? It doesn't have corn surrounding everything, but uh, right field has got some pine trees and then left field has just got a pasture. So it's not as not as pretty as a field of dreams, but uh, I guess you can call it our field of dreams back now, home. Now, I think we can tell from your accent, you're from the South, you're from Alabama. I presume the weather is good, is good there, like 80 to 90 percent of the year to play? Yes, sir. It's usually pretty good. It'll have some stretches where it rains a lot, but it's usually always pretty warm. Uh, end of the spring, it'll get a little, a little chilly, but it's pretty consistent. Sounds like the ideal place to to train to be a professional ball player. Certainly, yes, sir. Um, you, you mentioned you mentioned your size. You go about like what six one two fifteen somewhere in that range. I think I'm or six three six four. Oh boy. Okay. All right. So you're a little bigger than you're a little bigger yeah. than what they list you in Baseball Reference. Yeah. They, I was going to say, they must have gotten you when you were 17, when you first yeah. signed. Are there ways that being big helps you in the field? Yeah, I feel like it, it helps with range, just being a little bit taller at some diving plays. I feel like I'll be able to make those and maybe some like a shorter person. I mean, they might have a quicker first step, but also I feel like length helps a lot. And then especially on like some tricky hops, having a little bit longer arms can help eliminate the trickiness of the, of that hop. Now you play both short and third. I know that short is your your 
grow the position you grew up playing. You play third as well. Is there something that makes you suited to playing third base? I think I've always had a, a quick first step, and then um, especially like playing short, you got to work on getting the right hop. So I felt like at third base takes a little bit of the footwork out. Felt like my you just have to have the quick first step, and I felt like I have that, and I feel like I'm pretty good at picking the ball. So just really getting used to that and playing consistently there, I feel like it's come, becoming uh, more and more part of my repertoire, I guess. And what about at shortstop? Short, I felt like just you said that's my been my most natural position. So just keep working on getting those tricky hops and eliminating those because as you go up, the balls just keep getting hit harder and harder. And, all the routine plays need to be made. So I feel like just being able to keep staying consistent at that and just getting the work in each and every day, I feel like I'll be able to play whichever position. So let me go through a few of the numbers that we track here, just because I think that they're somewhat informative. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago with Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, that the minor league numbers can predict certain successes at the major league level, uh, particularly for the guys that are up near the top. And at third base, um, and, and it's admittedly you're splitting time between the two, but you have what we would call four defensive runs saved, which is a high-end number for a third baseman. We're giving you good value for plays on balls that you've made that were hit to your, that, on plays that were made on balls that were hit to your right. Uh, you've done well fielding balls on the backhand. Once you've, if you corral the ball on the backhand, uh, you're basically near perfect, if not perfect overall, at turning them into outs. At shortstop, minus three runs saved. Now, in fairness, what we're comparing you there to is major league players. And you're you're not necessarily there just yet. You're still in the minors, you're still learning, you're still developing. And minus three isn't bad. It, it projects out pretty decently to the major leagues. Uh, I'm curious what when you made the you've made the transition now, it's three years. Are there certain intricacies that you're still kind of learning, like defensive shifts or, or things of that sort, or throwing from different angles? Are there any interesting things that you're learning? I mean, I've been playing a little bit more on the right side of the field, second base, just like lefty base and like just base shifts and stuff. Yeah, I felt like getting more comfortable with that, just being able to play short a little bit more consistently, I, I felt like that would help. But whichever... I mean, it's, it's been fun to just be able to kind of figure out what I need to work on. And like I said, just go into each day trying to get better. So been able to do that and it's starting to turn around here. I felt like I'm playing pretty well right now. In the, in the minor leagues, uh, teams have roving instructors and they also have coaches that work with players at each level that, that you're at. Uh, what's the best tip you've gotten from a coach with regards to trying to improve defensively? Mainly just because I'm such a taller guy, I just got to stay low. And especially when I throw, just stay low to catch the ball. And then whenever I throw, I can get up a little bit taller to really let my arm, my arm action work. And my, I have a strong arm. So just letting it do its thing. And just we, last year, we worked on a little bit of a higher arm motion, just kind of clean up throwing mistakes. And I felt like we got that cleaned up. So just being able to let my arm go to its full potential. Do you have a Manny Machado-like arm? I feel like I do. Yes, sir. <laughs> and I asked that specifically because I know that he's he's the family's favorite player, right? Yes, sir. My little brother loved him growing up. Yep. I've also heard some comps to Corey Seager. Are you familiar with that comparison? Yes, sir. He's uh, one of my favorite players. And just like we're kind of similar. Just he's 6'4", about 225, 230. So we're about the same in that regard. And people would write him off as a shortstop. And here he is, one of the highest play pair, players in the league. So. 
And he bats lefty, throws throws righty as well. Why do you bat lefty, throw righty, by the way? I honestly couldn't tell you. It's my fam- Nobody in my family has batted lefty, and I was the only one to do that. I, when I was younger, I switched to it. And then when I was probably about 10 or 11, just decided to stick to lefty. That's what always came naturally. And it worked out pretty well because I enjoy hitting from the left side. And then, yeah, like like I said, nobody on either side of my family from my mom or dad's side is left-handed. So that's pretty weird. Sure. But, but yeah, but it, it gives you, it certainly gives you certain advantages versus right-handed pitching and you're roasting right-handed pitching this year. I'm looking at the numbers for that and they're, they're basically off the charts. What are you looking to work on hitting wise besides building on your, your kind of hitting lefties? Just honestly seeing them more consistently. I felt like in uh double A, it was kind of sporadic facing them just at the beginning of one week and the end of a week after. So I felt like here in AAA, started to see them consistently and just keep uh, formulating a plan to go against them and just let my body get used to seeing them because didn't really get to see them much. And I felt like whenever I get to see them consistently, then I'll find something out, whatever works for me, and we'll go from there. Some other numbers, these hitting-wise, we're able to replicate StatCast data at the minor league level, which is kind of cool because it allows us to say something like you're averaging about 90 miles per hour exit velo and an 11-degree launch angle, which is a nice line drive kind of launch angle. 90-mile-an-hour exit velo puts, would put you in the top 100 players in the majors right now if you could do that at the major league level. But with hitting, one thing I noticed too is that your strikeouts were have been cut down significantly from the early part of your career and your walks have increased. What's gone into that? I felt like just really honing in on my plan going into it and not going away from it because these pitchers, the higher you go, they're better and better and that doesn't get any easier in the major league. So they're going to, when they nibble around the zone, just got to really work on not chasing their pitch and just not messing the one that you want. And if they don't ever come in the zone, then just don't over or try to expand and do something more than what they're trying to offer. So has, has there been, has, has anyone come down on a rehab assignment that you faced as a hitter where you were like, well, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Last week I actually got to face Tyler Matzik, the lefty from the Braves. And then it was pretty cool. Turn on my phone yesterday and then he was pitching in the major. So I got to face <laughs> week and that was pretty cool. Did you get a hit off him? Called strike three on a ball below the zone. So <laughs> <laughs> Now, did I hear right that you built a batting cage with your signing bonus? Yes, sir. That is correct. <laughs> I saw yeah. it. So I saw it on YouTube. Tell us a little bit about it. Yes, sir. Well, back home, we I would go to my old high school field, and then I would be able to hit on that. But usually uh, during the wintertime, it rains a decent amount. So decided to just – I didn't really have anything else that I was going to spend it on. So I felt like it would be a good idea to build something that would go to my future. So – Ended up building a batting cage back, closed it, and then turfed everything. And it's actually been a really big help in my training the past two off seasons. So, real help to my. It looked like you man caved it a little bit too. Yes, sir. Yeah, we uh, are going to get a TV in there. Got some jerseys from the high school, like all star stuff, and then from every affiliate that I've been to so far. So, it's pretty cool to have like that. Nice. All right. So last question here. Give you a chance to shout out some of your teammates. Adley just, Adley's now in the majors, but there's a couple of other guys that are with you, including a guy that a couple of hours before we talked to you struck out 14 today. And then I was going to ask you just uh, about Jordan Westberg too. So can you run down a few of your teammates and guys that are kind of making the move up towards the show with you? 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, DL, he just had 14 today, and his stuff has been getting better and better, and I didn't think it could, but because he's already electric, but he's been really working really hard to get up there, and, man, it was really fun to be able to watch him pitch today. And like you said, Jordan, he's been doing his thing ever since he came up. He's been going off still. I've really enjoyed being able to come up with him and play play with him each and every day and just being able to pick his brain and look forward to hopefully playing with him playing with him in the majors this year. I hated that Grayson went down, but I got to watch him pitch a little bit last year and just being able to see him and the numbers that he put up this year is really exciting for our future. The Orioles have a lot of good prospects. The Orioles also have a very long line of success at shortstop and third base between Cal Ripken Jr. and Manny Machado and Brooks Robinson and all the names that have come along. Hopefully, Gunnar Henderson, yours will be one in the not-so-distant future. Thank you for joining us. Yes, sir. Thank you. Before we move on to our next guest, make sure you're following us on Twitter for all the latest baseball insights. We've got daily fantasy tips, player leaderboards, prospects to watch, and much more. Find us at SIS underscore baseball. We dig in a little deeper with Bobby Scales, VP of Baseball for Sports Info Solutions. A couple of topics to touch on as we head into the All-Star break, and we're going to talk about two of the hotter teams in the game. We'll start with the Atlanta Braves, and this being where uh, Bobby's from, where Bobby lives. It makes sense to talk about them. And we wanted to start talking about Michael Harris, who was guest on this podcast last season, our minor league, essentially our minor league defensive player of the year last year. Now up with the Braves, he's off to a really good start. He's made some very impressive catches, not necessarily sliding, diving, and jumping, but sprinting too. Your take on Michael Harris and his start to his MLB career. No, it's tremendous. This young man is, is, is like you shared earlier. He's from where I live here. I, I actually don't live in a city. I'm north of the city, but I will always claim Atlanta. But he, he's from, he's from Atlanta, Georgia and, and know a lot of people in common. But, but the bottom line is this young man is playing tremendous. The, the Braves are not asking him to do too much, but he is probably far exceeding what they, when they brought him up. But the, 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 not just the catch, but the day in question for him that just stuck out in my head was July the 8th. And if you go back and look at that game, the young man registered a four for four. He went deep to the chop house on a no doubter. Uh, he's handled left-handed pitching. He's hit the ball off all areas of the field. And then the thing that we know for an absolute fact that he was going to do when he got elevated to the big league level, he has defended at an elite level. And there's a catch in that game. Now, you you go on various websites and what have you, and it's got a very high catch probability attached to it. I got a bone to pick with that. And Josh Bell hitting left-handed – now, we know Josh Bell can mush balls all over the park, but he, when he really gets into his best balls left-handed, they're in the left center field gap. The Braves R&D staff, department and their, their field staff collaborated. They have him, Michael, positioned in that left center field gap. So this ball was hit 101 miles an hour, 28-degree launch angle in the right center field gap. And if you watch this clip, Michael Harris proceeds to get on his bike and get himself over to catch that ball with something left in the tank with, with, with time to spare. He covered over a hundred feet sprint speed at about just up, just shy of 30 miles per hour. I, I did say miles per hour. Michael Harris is really, really fast. He's not quite that fast. We want to measure him in miles per hour. I would love to, but it's feet per second. So it's just under 30 feet per second. And he catches this ball. Like it's no big deal. This ball was absolutely mushed by, Josh Bell, and he just catches it like nothing. And, and those are plays that that stick out. When you see a guy 
there's a lot of center fielders that die for that ball and don't get there. He catches it standing up easy. Now, he's a very fast, he's a very fast young man. We know that. But what sticks out are the jumps and the route efficiency that he gets to balls with. His routes are spot on. His jumps are elite, both by the eye test and by the by the 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 you know, if you were to go on the baseball savant or any other website that was able to measure these things. They're elite jumps, and he has a lot of elite jumps. It's not just this one. So I just want to highlight just how good he's been and just how elite of a defender he is right now. And as he grows in his knowledge, just how elite of a defender he's going to be. And just for the record, Sports Info Solutions had it as a 55% catch probability. So a little bit more than a 50-50 ball, not necessarily as extreme as uh, what, what you were referencing before, which is certainly good for us. What separates a guy who makes it? From and him becoming a star who's there for 15 years and who's great as opposed to someone who doesn't? Well, certainly you need some fortune as far as health and, and things go like that. But being in a great situation is is always you know advantageous to a young player. You look at where Michael Harris II is in his, in his baseball evolution as a, as, a, as, a, as a player. He's with a, a, a franchise that has done an unbelievable job of developing players over the course of the years. We're not going to go through all the players that ha- they have drafted and developed and end up being big-time players in, in Major League Baseball. The list is very long. But that Braves PD department gets those guys ready physically and mentally to become big leaguers and excel at the Major League level. I also want to touch on his upbringing. I don't know his parents. I don't know the people that have been around him. But everybody that you talk to that knows this young man say his his upbringing is solid his not team, I don't want to use that term, but the people in his inner circle are solid humans and have given him solid direction. So certainly the the makeup of the young man, the raw intelligence of the young man, the Braves perfect player development department, both on the mental side and the physical skill development side have been solid and prepared him for that. And the biggest thing is the fact that he's on a very, very good baseball team. If they didn't have him, they'd still be a good baseball team. So his pressure to really be a guy in that lineup and be the lockdown defender that he is in center field is very low. Now, that said, he is exceeding expectations. He's showing us the kind of player he can be. So, you know, the short for there's no short answer to that. How do you how does a guy make it? How does a guy one guy not make it? I'm a big Herm Edwards fan. I've said that before. One of his catchphrases is the fact that you look at talented quarterbacks in the NFL. He, his, it's his belief and his experience, and he's got a ton of it. So I'm not going to uh, challenge that. More of those guys fail out than talent out. And the fail out part is that they're not ready between their ears. Everybody's got a big arm for the most part when you get drafted. Everybody can read defense, but the guys who are really elite at it, the guys who study and really dedicate themselves to their craft, those are the guys that stick around. And the guys that don't, they fall by the wayside. And I think M- Michael Harris II has positioned himself as one of those guys that's going to stick for a long time. The uh, Josh Bell play, we have the link in the show notes. When we talked to Michael last year, and you can find that interview, it's also linked in the show notes. One of the things that we got a kick out of was what he wrote on his glove. And I think that this was interesting because it showed empathy. He wrote, uh, he's got a message on his glove in like Sharpie that says, sorry, comma, not sorry. And the reason for that is he doesn't want to feel bad for the hitter after he makes a great play. There were times where he would feel bad for the hitter for a second after he made a great play. But then he realized like, no, this is, this is, this is my play. I made the play and I'm going to make a lot of those good plays. I I love it. That was sorry. Not sorry. Can't help you. So there's one other Brave we wanted to talk about. Matt Olson, first baseman, has a couple of home runs in the uh, series that they just played against the Mets. 
obtained to replace a legend in Freddie Freeman, who's now with the Dodgers. And first half through uh, your take on him. I, I just the with and it's and it's particularly relevant now with all the stuff that has happened with Freddie Freeman and the agents and this and that and the offers. What has getting gotten lost is just how good Matt Olson has been for the Atlanta Braves. He, he's off to a great start in his career, commanded a really big contract. There's a boatload of pressure on him on a lot of different fronts. Number one, he's replacing a legend. Now, is Freddie Freeman going to the Hall of Fame or all that stuff? I, I don't know all that. We don't, you know, he's got a Freddie's still a rel- still got some relative some really productive years in fr- in, he- uh, in front of him and. By all accounts, he's an unbelievable human. Everybody loved him. He, by if you listen and read the things that you listen and read, could have been there could have been some confusion, and he didn't really want to leave Atlanta. That's not for us to decide. But nonetheless, there's going to be a number five hanging on the wall at Truist Park or whatever ballpark they're playing in at the time when he retires. Shortly after he retires, because he's a club legend, people who follow legends have a really difficult time. Most of the time, there's a few that stick out in my head that have done an unbelievable job in doing so. But most of the time, the pressure to perform, to even be close to the the level that that person performed at, you know, that preceded you is immense. That's point number one. Point number two, there's a boatload of pressure when you come home to play. Matt Olson's from Lilburn, Georgia. He went to Parkview High School, which is a unbelievably successful uh, uh, athletic high school in all sports here in the state of Georgia. He was a, a, a star of stars. I mean, a young man got drafted out of high school and went on and, and did his thing, but he's coming home to do that. And secondly, and, 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 I, and, and finally, my, my third and final point is you still have to play baseball. He's got a big contract hanging over his head. And not only is he taking all of those factors and made them relatively, made it a moot point, but he's done so on a team that is absolutely surging right now, leading the league in extra base hits, hit a mammoth home run last night off a left-handed pitcher, I might add, playing his usual elite-level defense. It's been amazing to watch just how well he's handled that situation. I don't think it's getting enough love, and so I'm going to give him his flowers right now. Matt Olson, it has been amazing what you've done. Keep doing it, my friend. It's hard to do, but yeah, he's done an unbelievable job. We also talked to Matt Olson during the pandemic, as a matter of fact. We'll link to that interview in the show notes. One other thing to touch on, Baltimore Orioles. We talked to the future of the Orioles with Gunnar Henderson on this uh, episode. But the Baltimore Orioles of the present making a nice move in the American League, getting to 500, playing impressive, defensively looking very good too. Where do you see things with the Orioles at this point? Well, what what they've done, if you look at the last three full seasons, 18, 19, and 21, this team struggled immensely, losing 100 games. They're in the middle of a rebuild. You got to tear it down and it's going to look ugly for a few seasons. And then, you know, at some point you need to turn it around. Well, I got news for you. This team's on their way to turning it around to be in that division. Let's not discount that. They're not doing it in, in a lesser division. They're doing it in the beast of the AL East, where those teams are just literally beating up on each other, but they're all very, very good. Turned it around, 44 and 44 after 88 games. And the thing that stuck out to me is that they've done it and they've done it with a negative 12 run differential. Now, that's one of those key indicators that of where you are as a team. And the Yankees are plus 100, and I'm not sure of a number, but it's well over 100 runs. And we know where they are in the standings. But when you've got, when you're 88 games deep and you're negative 12, and even if they were positive 12, what that means is they're in every single game they're playing. They have not been blown out. They haven't blown a bunch of teams out to skew the number at all. They've been in virtually every single game they've played. 
and, and for a team to be do, to to be in that situation with that with that run differential, uh, given where they've been the previous three seasons, uh, that's a sign that this team is on is on the come a little bit, and we'll see how it plays out. But at the end of the day, they've done a great job of staying relevant and 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 improving. And part of the rebuild is beginning to work. You're beginning to see the fruits of the labor of that front office and also that field staff and, and getting those guys to compete at the major league level. And it's good to see Baltimore for me is one of those sneaky historic teams. They've been good. You know, the Jim Palmers, the, the, the guys, the, the, the obviously Frank Robinson, Brooks Robinson, like that's a historic team. And when they're better, the sport is better. And so it's good to see those guys, especially Cal Ripken. He's pretty good. You may have heard of him when that team is better. And that, and that city is engaged in baseball, the, the, our league and our sport and our game is better. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's tremendous to see. The Orioles turnaround really started when Adley Rutschman came up. His offensive numbers aren't great. His defensive numbers are good. We just read about the Orioles defense, Cedric Mullins, Jorge Mateo leading the way for Baltimore. And you can read those. You can find the link, as I said before, in the show notes. Bobby Scales, thank you for taking the time to join us. We will speak to you in a couple of weeks. Mark, always a pleasure, my friend. And this wraps up this episode. For Gunnar Henderson, Bobby Scales, and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. You can follow us on Twitter at SIS underscore baseball. Thanks for listening to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.